Be sure to tune into Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much, much more. On her new radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues, as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or our notable immigrants themselves. Check out her new show, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., Immigration with Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Immigration with Tamina on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us today on this very, very dreary and rainy and gray morning. Um, I hope you're somewhere cozy and warm and listening to the show and raring to hear some new information as well as listening to somebody wonderful. This is an immigration-related show that airs every Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning on the new Seattle South Asian station, they see 12.50 a.m. If you have friends and family that don't know about the station, please spread the word. Um, This is the only South Asian station in the entire Seattle-Tacoma area. And what a wonderful addition it is to our community. If you have questions, you can email at info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. We're happy to hear from you and, you know, email us. We have two things going on today. We'll be talking about some very important um, news updates, but we also have a very special guest. So um, I'm going to start talking about the new rules. And you may remember me talking about both of these issues in past shows. Number one... Visa waiver rules. You might remember me talking about restrictions that were coming into place. And they were going to be for people from Syria, Iran, Sudan, and Iraq. Um, and a visa waiver was going to be affecting all of these people. So it just so happens that uh, last Thursday, the Department of Homeland Security and Customs and Border Protection issued new rules basically implementing the rules that were, going, that were, that were announced. And in fact, what the, the, the real problem is that it is not just people living in those countries, it's people who have some sort of citizenship, um, whether it's they were born there or their parents had uh, passed on citizenship, but they have never lived there or don't live there now, maybe live in a European country or other countries, those people are being affected. And over the last few days, I've seen a lot of people call me, um, friends and family and clients and businesses, everyone is being affected across the the board and what what is the effect? The rule says that if you have dual citizenship from um, Syria, Iran, Iraq, and Sudan, um, and you and you are from a country that has uh, uh, the Estra Esta program, that's electronic, um, you know, the visa waiver program. Uh, those Esta clearances are now being revoked. So it is possible that many of your friends and family have received revocation emails. They were supposed to get them within 72 hours. My understanding is that not everyone has received those emails, but they are likely coming. And if your birthday uh, birthplace is one of these countries and it's listed on your passport or perhaps on your ESTA form or your parents' birthplace are written there, you're, you can very well expect that your ESTA clearance is been, be, going to be revoked. If you come to the airport, you will actually have problems. So what are the, the what do you do instead? You have to apply at the embassy 
for a B1, B2 visa. If you have questions about this particular issue, email us at info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. The other news update is the STEM OPT extension. You may recall me talking in the past um, show about students who get work permit um, permits after they finish uh, their schooling, they graduate, particularly people from a science, technology, engineering and math program. They were going to get um, uh, 17 months after graduating, but that rule was then put on hold and it's being litigated, actually. Um, so the Department of Homeland Security issued new rules. And um, based on those rules, it, DHS says they received over 50,000 comments. Um, so they received 50,000 comments, and based on those comments that they need to go through, the, the DHS requested a, an extension of time, and the judge in D.C. Uh, for this case uh, actually um, extended the extension. So it was supposed to run out in February. Um, the, anybody who had a STEM OPT would have an expired visa after February 16th, but the judge extended it till May 10th, and that is a great um, uh, relief for many people. Not the relief we're looking for, but at least it's um, not around the corner. Um, you, with interesting figures in the, in the judgment and that was ordered. There was information that about 23,000 students are currently on a STEM OPT. There are about 2,300 dependents of those um, 23,000. There are about 8,000 pending STEM OPT applications. And the Department of Homeland Security said there are about 434,000 foreign students who may be eligible for STEM OPT. So part of their arguments were that the, all of these people would suffer, but in addition, the tech sector would, uh, would suffer. So based on all of those, the judge uh, allowed an extension till May 10th. It's hoped that DHS will finalize those rules. You've, if you've just tuned in, this is Desi 1250 AM and this is Tamina Watson. Thanks for joining us. So next, we have a guest, a wonderful guest on the show. Um, he's a notable person who's made an impact on immigrants' lives. He's a wonderful personality. He's a son of an immigrant, making a huge impact. You may have seen him recently on the media, in various places, as he's running for Congress. I am proud and honored to announce today's guest. He is State Representative Brady Walkinshaw. Brady, Hi. Hi, Brady's going to join us in a minute. I'm going to tell you about Brady uh, while we um, get him back on the show. Um, Brady was raised in rural Whatcom County near the Canadian border. His parents moved to Everson, Washington to raise their kids in a farming community and in a union household. Brady's father runs a non-profit focused on agricultural education and his mother teaches English language learners in the public schools. Brady's mother and her family immigrated to the U.S. from Cuba while his, while his father's family traces back for generations in Washington state. Both parents inspired an ethic of hard work and compassion for those in need. From Nooksack High School, Brady attended Princeton University to study public, pu- study public policy. Upon graduating, he won a Fulbright scholarship to study education systems in Honduras. While abroad, he founded Proyecto Villa Nueva, a nonprofit that fosters youth leadership to prevent violence in sl- urban slums. Brady launched a, a career international in international development, spending five years at the Gates Foundation, where his work focused on economic opportunities for small farmers. 
In 2013, Brady was appointed to represent the 43rd District in the Washington State House. As a public servant, Brady is guided by his beliefs in environmental stewardship, fair wages, shared economic growth and social justice. Walkinshaw lists higher education, transportation, women's reproductive rights and immigrant rights as top of his list. Welcome, Brady. Thank you so much. Are you there? I am indeed. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for stepping out of the busy, busy schedule that you have. I'm so grateful. And, you know, what an incredible time for you. And we have so much that we would love to talk to you about. But we have to limit our questions to immigration. And I would love to dive into it because our time is short. Um, Tell us about your upbringing. Your mother was an immigrant from Cuba. How did that shape your views? So my mom immigrated to this country twice. She, her family fled Cuba under the dictatorship of Batista in the late 1950s. And then when Castro came into power, their family reverse immigrated back to Cuba with hopes that he would deliver more promise for an island that had a lot of people living in poverty, you know, poor health care, poor living conditions. And five years later, they decided to reverse immigrate back to the United States. So my mother grew up uh, in Maryland. Uh, my, my grandparents were people who believed so passionately in the American dream. They came here with basically nothing and worked restaurant jobs and, and made it into the middle class in this country through decades of very hard work. Wow. American dream. I mean, you're absolutely living proof of that, what can happen. Well, that's um, wonderful. You know, I was reading that you used to tutor immigrant children when you were in high school. Tell us more about that. So every every summer back when I was, so I grew up in, in Nooksack Valley, which for those of you who don't know is this small rural farming community up in northeast Whatcom County, right up on the Canadian border. And it's an area that is very agriculturally dependent. You have lots of raspberry production, lots of dairy production, lots of blueberry production, uh, lots of timber. And growing up up there, I mean, as, as so many of you know, our agricultural industries uh, really rely on, on economic uh, labor from, from recent immigrants, and many of them many of them undocumented. So growing up, all of my summers were spent, my mom is an English language learner teacher, so she teaches in the public schools and work with, works with a lot of the immigrant population up in Nooksack Valley. So all my summers were spent working with, working with recent immigrants, uh, teaching English, um, working in dairy fields, working in agriculture, and while I had a lot of opportunities for education myself, it really informed how I look at disadvantage, how I look at opportunities through our immigration system, how I look at what it means to be undocumented and, and what that means for the types of lives that recent immigrants to our country lead when they're, when they're forced to live underground. Wow. You know, as you're speaking, and I'm thinking back to what you just said about your parents coming to the U.S. and working very hard, they must have been so incredibly proud of you going to Princeton University. Well, that was a, that was a leap. I, uh, I went to a, a school where you had a lot of families who were having free and reduced lunches, a lot of, a lot of economic hardship that uh, was faced in you know rural communities around our state, and what I took from that is this real belief that it's important to also uh, understand where people are coming from, understand what it means to to grow up in a very, very frankly, a fairly conservative rural community, uh, to understand both interests on both sides of of, of the political divide. Um, 
whether it's the interests of, of food growers and agricultural producers or whether it's uh, the interests of farm laborers. I mean, I've been doing a lot of work over the last six months on farm worker safety on dairies specifically. Wow. And, you know, in the context of immigration, a number that I think about a lot, I've, I've spent a lot of my life working on food and agriculture, and a number I think about a lot is that five in eight, five of eight low-income uh, families in our country are somehow employed in our food system, uh, whether that means the production of food, whether that means working in fast food restaurants uh, on the service side. But our food economy is so closely tied to immigration and labor uh, and, and immigration status and to economic opportunity that I think it's a really important issue for us. Wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. So, um, wait, tell us a little bit about, tell the listeners about your background at Gates Foundation. Sure. So, I, I as as you shared when you when you gave a little bit of my background, after having worked and lived uh, in Central America, I had the chance to come back and work on on ways that you can economically empower uh, small farmers in developing countries through through food and through agriculture. And a lot of my work uh, was in Brazil looking at programs that the Brazilian government developed about ways that you could create new markets for small farmers through programs like getting fresh food in schools or or thinking about ways that uh, the government, when, when they're buying food from small farmers, are able to improve incomes and improve sustainability practices, uh, improve management practices on farms so that you have a, a market for, for healthy food that's being produced uh, that, that starts to get this virtuous cycle going uh, around trying to address public health, trying to address nutrition, trying to address uh, labor issues, which are such a challenge in our in our food system. Wow. You know, that's just so incredible. You have such an amazing background in, in, in this particular area, and you probably are familiar with the visa category of H2A. Um, for agricultural, the agricultural industry, right, it's, right, yes. You know, and so one of the the biggest issues, I mean, as you you probably see this, is it's difficult to find workers, and immigration reform is just so important. What are your thoughts about immigration reform? You know, I took a class back when I like ten, fifteen years ago. I, I took a class from a professor named Doug Massey, who actually is from Western Washington. He went to Western, uh, and now he teaches on immigration policy at Princeton. And he, part of that class was looking at the history of the Bracero program in the 1950s and 60s that was the, the first kind of formalized guest worker program that we had in this country. And I think that we've, what we've learned is through so many missteps in our country's history over the last 50, 60 years that welcoming immigrants, providing a path to citizenship for the 11, 12, 13 million people living in our communities who are undocumented, that building that path to citizenship and amnesty is, is just essential. And as you look at it across different categories, as you were describing, there are certainly different needs. But as someone who's of a Cuban-American background, and in this, in this political context that we're in today, when you see other Cuban-Americans like, like Ted Cruz or Marco <laughs> Rubio spout some of the most backward out some of the most backward thoughts around forward-looking immigration policy, I, I think it's just essential that we, we look at the needs of our economy, be realistic, be practical, and, and also recognize that when you bring people in, 
mm-hmm. and you have values of inclusion and bringing people into the process, it's better for everyone. Uh, it's better for our economy. It's better for public safety. It's better for how wow. we how we educate mm-hmm. our communities. Yeah, and the dividends are extraordinary. Wow, you know, I've learned so much in in just this very short discussion. Now, this is a very very exciting year for you. It's only January, and it's going to be exciting throughout and you're running for congress and you know where you could possibly make a lot of difference on immigration what do you want the listeners to know about you most what i will bring to this race and what i think is so important is that in seattle and in the central puget sound this district is one that has the chance to really make an impact over the long term and if i look at the things that we have to change in our country i immigration is at the front of us. It's been the story of my life. I mean, it's been the story of my, my mom's family coming to this country from Cuba with nothing and, and thinking about how through hard work and in a country where at a time when labor was stronger, when the economy did more for the middle class, how can we recreate that? And how can we help to build an economy that brings immigrants in, uh, includes them, and then recognizes that, that they are a vital part of our social fabric in this country, what makes us rich, what makes us great, uh, and what makes us a country that I believe will succeed and, and grow in the future. So it's just such an essential, it's such an essential issue, and a place like, like ours uh, can be at the forefront of helping to advocate for sensible uh, immigration. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's I, I, I completely agree with you, and there are just so many values at stake. Um, you know, Brady, before you go, tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing right now. I mean, they, I know you're very busy at the state level, and maybe the listeners might want to know us in a snapshot. Sure. So I, I just walked out of a, of a hearing in our Senate Health, I mean, in our House Health Care Committee, and I've been working on legislation that would expand uh, eligibility for Medicaid. So it would look at how when people come out of prison, I've been doing a lot of work on criminal justice the last few years. When people come out of prison in our, in our country and in our state, they're, they're not eligible to, to go back onto Medicaid. So you see a lot of people coming back out of prison who struggle to get mental health treatment, who struggle to, to get um, chemical dependency treatment, who struggle to really get back on their feet. And I just had a bill that we were we were discussing just now that would help get people back on Medicaid, where we're actually losing federal dollars uh, to to help people get back on their feet as they come back out of out of prison and, and into society. Wow! I have mm-hmm. yes. Sorry, there, sorry. There's a lot of there's a lot of pieces of legislation that we're working on this year that are that are exciting and I think important for our state. Wow. Well, I hope you get some rest. I mean, there's just so many things going on <laughs> that it's exciting. And, you know, I, I'm thrilled for, for all that you are doing about to embark upon and all the things that you do for the community and the people in our state. So thank you so much for all your hard work. And on behalf of our listeners, good luck uh, with everything. I really appreciate having the chance to be on and this is an exciting, an exciting show, and thanks for letting me speak some about immigration. Well, I'm a great, very grateful. Well, Brady, thank you so much. I hope to touch base with you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. All my best. Take care. Bye.
Well, listeners, there you have it. That was Brady Walkinshaw, state representative, who joined us. He stepped out of a very busy meeting and he joined us to talk just to you about things that have shaped him, particularly on immigration. And, you know, it's interesting. I learned so much. Um, You know, you as an immigration lawyer, I'm always practicing, you know, applying for different types of visas. Um, And it's not always that I get to dive into the history of everything. So it was interesting that Brad uh, Brady told told us about the the his professor Doug Matthews, who's now a Princeton immigration policy professor, and where he learned about a formalized guest worker program from the 1950s. So it's it's very interesting learning these little facts. So listeners, you know, I um, we don't have much time left, but I want to go back to the visa waiver rules. Um, I have had a lot of panicked calls from friends and families about whether their ESTA revocation has already happened, whether, how they find out, whether they should cancel their their tickets, whether they should be, you know, even getting on the plane and facing CBP. Um, so there are lots of panicked field moments. Uh, there are companies with leaders, you know, company leaders trying to come into the U.S. who ha- are going through this problem. There are people who are coming to the U.S., um, as visitors trying to see their friends and family, uh, what I would say to everybody is watch out for your email. Go to the ESTA website, um, the CBP website. Go and check to see uh, what the notice might be. If you have received an email, then you, you know, in many ways, you know where you stand. If you have not received an email revoking your ESTA, that, that means that you're probably going to get it soon. They haven't just got around to it. So long on the short of it is if you fall into any of these categories of dual citizenship from one of these countries, whether it's you or your parent, Um, rest assured you're going to have problems. And so the only way to deal with that is go to the embassy and apply for a B-1 or a B-2 visa. The guidance does say that if there are economic hardships, if there are urgent issues that will require expedited treatment for you, you can tell them. And what I tell my clients is the way to apply for expedited generally is you apply for the DS-160 on the embassy website. And once you have an appointment, there should be a set of place where you can go and request an expedited time. So I suggest that you find those out and rather than cancelling your ticket, you proactively get a B1, B2 visa, but have lots of information about your strong ties to your community, your work and um, your affiliations. So I'm afraid we're running out of time today and it is just wonderful to have spoken to Brady Walkinshaw. Um, if you have any questions and comments, uh, please do email me at info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your thoughts. If there are any issues that you would like me to discuss in news updates, please feel free to tell me. I need to know what you would like to listen to. Um, you know, my aim is to inform, encourage, inspire Uh, And if there is something that you want to hear from a person you want to listen to, you know, please, please let me know. On that note, I do want to put a plug in for that movie I keep talking about, For Here or To Go, uh, an amazing movie depicting the high-skilled immigration problem. It will be shown at the Seattle Asian Arts Film Festival on February 21st at noon. Uh, you must get your tickets sooner rather than later. Space is limit- limited. But if the high-skilled immigration problem is your problem, is your family's problem, your friend's problem, this is a must-see. This movie is really 
really talking hits the the heart. It humanizes the problem. It explains the problem in a very simple way that wouldn't otherwise be explainable. So please, please spread the word about the movie. Um, you know, next week we're going to be talking about more Im- 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 immigration updates, and there are a lot of updates. We simply sim- do not have enough time to go through everything. But keep an eye on the blog. My blog is www.whatsanimmigrationlaw.com. You know, it's also H-1B season. It's really a crucial time to get started with H-1Bs. The deadline for filing is April 1st. And we are able to help you, whether you are a consulting company, whether you're self-employed, whether you're an employer. You know, H-1Bs have their own nuances. Thank you again to all the listeners for tuning in today into this very new show, if you like. Uh, it's Desi 12.50 AM, uh, Immigration with Tamina. Thank you again to Brady Walkinshaw for being here. We will be here again next week, Tuesday at 10 AM. Please join us and we will talk to you then. Thanks so much and stay dry.